Welcome to Spring the Beacon with Ryan Rieger. Today we're playing Lego, and Daddy has other dice stay on my play Lego. Hey guys, welcome back to the Streams of Income radio show. I'm your host, Ryan Rieger, and today we're chatting with Michael Frew, F-R-E-W. He's a, an, a business acquisition expert. He's got several businesses under his belt that he's bought, an eight-figure portfolio of cloud-based software companies, and collectively generates a seven-figure tax uh, income annually. It's incredible. We just talked to him about how he buys businesses, how he finds them, how he finances them, what he does with them, how he works with a team like that. Um, and he, he's buying businesses that are kind of adjacent to each other. And he's able to use the exact same team in many cases for all of his businesses. So it just works seamlessly. We talked about his eight-step framework for um, finding, finding, financing, and acquiring those online businesses. His story is fascinating. He went from being an engineer uh, to buying businesses. So it's an awesome uh, awesome journey. Awesome story. If you want to learn more about Michael, what he's doing, you can got to get on his newsletter. Go to michaelfrew.com forward slash streams of income. Here's the interview with Michael. Michael, welcome to Streams of Income. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. We're so excited. I, I literally messaged Stephen right before this, and I cannot wait to talk to Michael because um, <laughs> you are talking about you know, business acquisitions. And uh, I just sold a business and we're right in the middle of thinking, gosh, you know, I've seen what it's like to grow a business, start it and grow it. And wouldn't it be easier just to go right to the point where you're just buying a business that's already kind of past the startup stage? So I want to get right. to that, but let's, I love, love, love hearing people's stories. And I, there's always an awesome business lesson that comes or lessons that come from people's stories. So tell me yours. Absolutely. Well, first of all, congratulations on the sale. Um, that's a, I know it's a big step. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm um, so I'm an ex-engineer, ex-developer and did my corporate career kind of like many other engineers and did that for about 18 years. And I went through a lot of probably the same challenges as some of the engineers and developers and even just uh, corporate workers out there were, it, over time, it's not quite as fulfilling. Um, you start to get a little bit of the golden handcuffs, especially when you're doing engineering because we get paid a lot, but um, maybe not as rewarding of a career as you want. Yeah. I went through a few quarter life crises. I'm not sure how many of you are allowed to have, but where I would just quit like with no idea what I was going to do tomorrow. And then and then you kind of fall back into it because that's where your training is. That's where my specialty is. Yeah. Uh, and I unfortunately am not artistic in any other way. So... Um, it was after one of those that I somehow came across the idea of actually buying a business. Like most engineers, I've been trying to start something forever, right? And mm. all of us have 50 or 60 different projects and folders and archived uh, web domains of things that we've tried to make work and you just never got that traction. Yeah. So about, about eight years ago, the online business acquisition space was pretty, in, not immature, but it was just getting going. Yep. And so it was a little bit more of the wild, wild west back then. It's really matured over the last eight years. And I kind of wanted to speak with you and your listeners just to kind of get that awareness out there. Um, my approach is really to developers and, and engineers of just, you know, this is something you can do instead of trying to start a business yourself. You can actually buy that momentum, kind of like yeah. you were implying there. You've already got yeah. customers, you've already got cash flow, all of that. So that's kind of the career path that I've taken where I've gone from kind of the corporate life to now working by myself and I've acquired multiple businesses. So I kind of have that multiple stream of income from those. Nice. How, many, how many businesses do you have right now that you, um, that are in your portfolio? Make money with? Yeah. <laughs> so I've acquired, it's somewhere around six or seven, um, but some of them are small where, well, it's like a little bolt on to one of the businesses. So I have three that I would say are the profitable, like where I actually make real money. Um, yeah. And then the other ones are kind of more like a marketing piece to those three. Awesome. So I bought two six-figure businesses, two seven-figure businesses, and then I've sold one of the seven-figure businesses. So I've been kind of through the whole process, um, probably yeah. more, um, you know, I say I've got a lot more experience as the buyer, but when you're the buyer, then you know what sellers need to do. Um, and mm. I'm probably a better consultant for sellers because I'll tell you what I see, you know, when I when I look at your books and everything yeah. um, and why, you know, here's why I don't like it where you might've thought it was good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh my gosh. We could dig into so much. Uh, Stephen, one of the Sorry, on, yeah. his, uh, on his the uh, uh, the one sheet that is the eight step framework for finding financings and, and acquiring online companies. I'd yes. love to get to that. Um, yeah, I mean, um, like, so what's it like to run th that many businesses? I, I would imagine you're not like in each one so much, 
that you are right. more of above here and you have a team of people that kind of run those. And so I'd be curious to talk here, like what your day looks like with, obviously it sounds like they're not there. These companies are somewhat similar. So it's not like you've got a, a trucking company and then a McDonald's and then a subway. Right. They probably somehow feed each other. And especially since you've got two companies that are marketing for the others. Um, but just yep. talk about that and like how much time it takes to do that and the team you have in place to do this. Yes. So I started, you know, when you bought that first business, um, I actually really enjoy being the owner operator. Mm -hmm. um, I have failed many times to do that job where you're supposed to pull yourself out of the business. Um, I absolutely love running the businesses. Um, uh -huh. And because everything I've bought, they're all SaaS and software companies. Okay. And it's a lot of B2B and I actually call it B2E. So it's business to engineers. Oh. So I'm talking all day with engineers, which is just like my background, just like the group I wanted to hang around with, you know, when I was a professional yeah. out there. So that kind of makes it fun. So I do still handle a lot of the operations, but I have had to build a team because I can't do everything sure. and I'm not good at most of it. Um, but uh, yeah, so you kind of put together the team that has their specialties. And like you said, um, even though the businesses may be similar, the infrastructure on the bottom is kind of the same. So maybe the tech stack can be the same. So I have the same engineers working on across all three businesses, Got it. even though on the front end, they look like three completely different companies. Yeah. We're still the same group on the bottom. Okay. Um, there's a little, there's almost no cross sales. Um, the businesses are that, are that okay. different. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a team. I'm still a bit too much of the operator. If a business coach would tell me, you know, Hey, you need to get yourself out of this. Yeah. And now you that enjoy I'm it though. To, it's not like, I if, do. like if you're, really if do. you're in it all the time and you're working hundred hours a week and your wife's telling you get out, get away from it and that you're unhealthy <laughs> yep. and then that's a different story. But if you're enjoying it, that's, that's what, like, kind of what it's all about. Right. Exactly. That was, um, it, it's funny as I went out and kind of bought projects that I was working on in the corporate world, except now I run them. We decide when we want meetings or if we even want them. We decide what customers we don't want. You know, you get to do all those things that you wish you could do at the desk where your manager, yeah. you know, you can't do it when you're in the corporate world. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it just gives you a lot of that flexibility. Sure. Are you allowed to argue and you don't tell me if you don't want to tell, tell, yeah, tell sure. this, are you any of the companies? Can you say any of the companies that you're doing? I, I've never, I think it's pretty easy to find out okay. if you kind of look around, like okay. my name's out there. Okay. Um, one thing that surprised me about the online business acquisition community way uh -huh. in the beginning is how secretive people were about their businesses. Mm. And I, so I thought, okay, I need to be secretive too, but I don't know why. Um, and I'm still <laughs> not terribly sure that I've come up with the answer. Okay. Um, and I've point blank, there's, um, you know, there's some people that have been in this ecosystem since it started and point blank asked, like, why don't we talk about it? But a lot of them are running like content sites and Amazon sites that could be you know, the idea stolen or someone else would come right, along. Right. Mine would be very difficult. Like knowing what I'm doing, it's not like you can just go out and put up a new website and start it. Right. So um, I think if your listeners just Google around, it's not super hard. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And so the marketing companies, those are the ones you bought though. Those are, um, would it say be like the vertical integration? Is that what you're we're yeah. talking about? Steven, I talk about that yeah. a lot where like, if you have, um, you know, a, a restaurant um, that you, let's say you own a subway, you may also buy the company that's supplying the napkins and the paper right. towels and all that uh, so that you're buying from yourself instead of a competitor. Is that what you're doing with the marketing side of things? Absolutely. Yeah. So I focus a lot on like cloud infrastructure and so tools that are used by engineers. Mm -hmm. So a couple of these, these were just tools that um, engineers use. They kind of relate to our business. So we said, let's just um, acquire this. We'll run the back end for free. And sometimes, and I see it's like our second or third amount of traffic comes from those sites because, you know, it just wow. says, hey, this is sponsored by this company. Um, we just run it for free for everybody. And, you yeah. know, that's a pretty big thing in the engineering community. Half of the tools we use are open source. And so somebody has to keep those going. You know, every once in a while they crash and somebody's <laughs> got to hit restart. <laughs> wow. Um, Steven, I want to ask him about the framework about finding, because I'm trying to think the people who are listening, they're going to know, like, where do you find these businesses and all that stuff? But any questions about what he talked about before we pivot? Yeah, I guess just I'm always interested in I feel very confident in starting businesses. I started a bunch of different businesses. I do have a engineering background. I went from um eighth grade of high school into college into an engineering program. I went to a couple of night classes and I was like, oh, that's not the path I want to go because you have to go back to school and I hate school now. I'm not about yeah. to take a career and something I had to go back to school. But why other than just your background in it, and maybe that is the answer, why programmers and engineers? And is there a skill set 
personality, something that you see a talent wise that you feel like buying or acquisitions is a good fit for those type of people? Yes. Great question. Um, one of the reasons I'm kind of focusing on developers and engineers is just because I can say that's where I came from. Right. Um, and I think one of the things I'm trying to get across in the awareness of this is the engineering part is the hard part, right? Understanding how to manage other developers, understanding what those timelines are like, um, that scares off a lot of people that are not in our industry, right? And, and that's usually the first question is like, hey, can I run a SaaS business if I've only done marketing? And it's a tough answer because sometimes you're like, I'm not really sure if you can um, mm. maybe try something smaller first. Yeah. So that's why I'm pushing it to engineers and I'm saying, you already know the hardest part. Um, you can do this, the infrastructure piece. Yeah. Everybody can learn how to build marketing. Like if you look at half of the companies out here and you know they're pretty poorly run, um, whether it's <laughs> offline or online, you know, if those people can make it work, if you already start with the engineering, you can make the business stuff work, right? Mm. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to encourage people. And one way that you and I might be different, Stephen, is I'm a very C minus engineer, right? I was incredibly average. Um, there's nothing unique or special about it. Um, like your background where you sounded like you really had a high speed and got it all together. So for you, it would be even a better opportunity because you really understand what's going on underneath and you can very easily say, all right, I just need somebody to run marketing. I need somebody to help me with bookkeeping. And here we go. Interesting. And is it because you're more geared towards SaaS companies or just online software type acquisitions? Is that why you're gearing more towards that as a ideal client? <clears throat> yeah, SaaS is a fantastic um, monetization model, right? We all know that everything's turning into it from your car wash to <laughs> everything. Um, so we just had somebody on about laundry mats. And I, yeah, after we talked a little bit about some software possibilities. So it was very interesting. It, there were a few businesses around where I live that during the pandemic, I was so disappointed that they hadn't switched to the SaaS model, like just mm. car wash, because then we wouldn't have had to do a transaction in, in physical. I could have just gone there and they could have kept making money. Mm. Um, so I, I hope more of them look into that. But so for me, yes, the monetization model is SaaS and then software because it's my background. I've also bought content sites and Amazon sites. And there are some incredible experts out there, unsurprisingly, in those niches I can't be an expert in everything. And so I, I kind of realized, ooh, I'm a little out of my my area here. Let me just be really good at one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe if I have the luxury in the future of moving outside of that. But that's why I'm focused, you know, kind of a pretty narrow tech stack. I really like cloud tools. And, you know, it's kind of the narrow thing that I'm going after. Yeah. But each um, what, person if you can had, um, come up with that. If you felt completely inept on the business side, couldn't you as an engineer just partner with somebody who's more the marketing Absolutely. genius? And yep. that would be, an, I think that'd be like a killer partnership. And that's almost like what Russell Brunson does with, yeah. now, I don't know his background, but he has a guy that is the um, programmer, remember his name, but the guy that's in charge of ClickFunnels that does all the behind the scenes. I'm sure he's not the only guy punching the yeah. code now, probably started out that way. But Russell's the guy out front, this other dude's behind the scenes, you know, in the software and they make a killer team. So, yeah. And you had mentioned that a little bit earlier about, you know, where are you acquiring these from? So my typical scenario, that's not always true, is it's going to be one or two people, right? It's either the original founder or maybe the team just like that. They've reached somewhere, I'd say 500,000 to 2 million in annual revenue. That's about the time when most engineers say, hey, this was fun, but there's a new shiny thing over here, whether it's AI or NFTs, mm. and I need to offload this. Um, <laughs> yes. And so that's where like Steven, you mentioned, you're really good actually at the startup part, right? So I think I'm not very good at that. I say I'm really good at taking a business from one to 10, where you're really good going from zero to one. So on that business life cycle, like that's where I think people like me can fit in. Steven, if you start the business, you got it going and then you're like, cool, now I can sell this, um, make some money and then go start something new. I'm kind of that next person that you would sell it to. I try and professionalize it. We try and make it scalable. We build out the infrastructure and then I'm looking for the team that can take it from 10 to hundred. And there's, you know, they're not PE firms yet, you know, and we just kind of pass it up. Um, so I've seen that happen and it's kind of nice to be in there, but that's where I say like, I'm just not a good startup person, but I'm a better operator. I think that <clears throat> identifying that is, um, very important. I feel like if I would have known you four years ago, we could have done a lot of business <laughs> together. I think after the pandemic, I stopped to just go, okay, I don't necessarily want to be starting these, launching these, and then continuing on. I want to have something slightly different. I moved a lot more. I was always investing at that time, so I just moved more into real estate. But now I want to get back into business. But I have really no desire to start anymore because even yeah. just like talking to people about starting, it's like I've done that so many times. I feel now that I'm ready for building this and scaling this up yeah. and then just 
talking to hedge fund people and private equity people and going like, oh, that's maybe a bit out of my reach for understanding. But I do think there's a gap between the startup players and then private equity. There must be enough space in there to start looking for acquisitions. But I'm very interested to hear when you were getting started, what was it? Was there a monthly revenue? Was it just like the cost of the business? What was the thing that triggered you to go like, oh, I can do this. And this is the gap that I'm going to try to fill. Or this is at least what I'm looking for when I'm starting up this acquisitions to where you are now, where you just have purchased a lot more. Is there a certain gap that you shoot for? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, When I started, I went with, everyone has a question, should I buy something small to start with? Or should I go all in with the money that I have? Mm. Um, So I did the small route. I did something as a little five figures. And um, it very quickly told me, you know, I very quickly learned that like, all right, this is something I'd like to do. So then it was starting to figure out, all right, so what is my my side niche going to be? I was fortunate, you know, a lot of us having worked in tech, we do have some cash sitting on the side. It is, again, another one of the advantages for developers. So you can look at that and say, all right, if I have this much money and I can get this much financing, here's about the business range that I'm in. So for me, um, you were just talking about PE. The number changes quite a bit, but I'm just going to say in general, it's around 5 million where they start to come down and take a look at those, especially if it's really well suited for them. So between that kind of $0 and 5 million is where (laughs) we all can exist. Um, And so, yeah, I'm kind of looking for like, what's about one to 3 million. That seems to be a good spot because like I said, when you replace, you have to replace that original founder many times. That is not an inexpensive person. Um, it's very hard for them to, when they put their business up for sale, they always forget, you know, oh, I have to account for all the hours that I've done and that, you know, Michael has to replace. So that really affects the price and how much that profit's going to be. But yeah, um, like you said, you kind of look at monthly profit. Um, what kind of price can I afford? Financing, we're talking in October 2023. Financing is very different than it was 18 months even ago. six months ago, yeah. Yeah. So the last business I acquired in 2022, I couldn't even do it today with the same financing uh, that it just doesn't even exist. So I got really lucky to buy it then. And now it's very different. <laughs> mm. So let's talk so about, having, I know Steven, you got all kinds of questions yeah. about the finance because we have two, but they'll probably for after <laughs> knowledge and stuff. Um, but let's talk, can we talk about the framework? Let's go kind of go yeah. through that. Cause I feel like that seems foundational to all this and might cover a lot of questions that I can imagine somebody listening to this would have like, where do I find these things? How do I come up with the yeah. money for them? What's it look like to run them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, having mentioned real estate, this process is very, very similar. Um, in the end, we're still buying assets. One's virtual, one's real. Um, but it's the same. You're still doing the prospecting. You're still trying to find what your niche is. You know, In real estate, maybe it's single family homes or you're looking at commercial. You know, Here, it's the same thing where you say, all right, I'm going to do Amazon FBA. I'm going to buy all those. Or I just want all WordPress theme sites. And I'm going to build a PHP team, and we're just going to go out and do that. So you kind of find what your specialty is for yourself, what your niche market is going to be. Mm-hmm. Then you work on financing. And I think for a lot of people, that is a real challenge. Um, not everybody has all that cash lying around. There aren't as many financing options as there are like with real estate. There are a few firms that are coming out to try and help with online acquisition um, financing. The rates can be a little higher because there's more there's more risk due to the fact there's no asset to sell if everything right. falls apart. So financing is usually a bit of a challenge that also might be a good opportunity for a partner. Mm-hmm. Then you got to work through how are you doing the letter of intent? How are you doing your due diligence? Um, what's the seller phone call going to be like? Um, many of these businesses, as you can imagine, this is now a global competitive space. So hundreds or thousands of people could be looking at the same business. In order to stand out, you kind of have to do something special on the call with the seller. Um, that's one of the reasons I speak out more often because I want sellers to look at Michael Frew and say, oh, this well, is exactly the person I want. Yeah, he's wow. the perfect person to run this business. Is that is that right there? What you just said is that you said it's globally competitive. Is that um, in the SaaS business specifically, or all online business, like even Amazon FBA type businesses? Yep, all of them. Um, I would say it's uh, you're gonna have pretty much every North America, Australia, New Zealand, all of Europe, um, uh, Middle East, India. You know, you you see buyers come in from all these different places. So that does make it more challenging. Um, Yeah, every M and A, the biggest challenge was deal flow, right? So it, it's not any easier here. It's same with real estate. Deal flow is the challenge. Uh, if anybody could ever solve that problem. But um, that's one of the reasons why I have one of my pillars of that seller call. Like it's so important to make sure the seller 
is comfortable with you and kind of hopes, you know, at least you hope that they're going to put you in the top three and then you start getting down to numbers and stuff like that. Um, I kind of walk everybody through what's it going to be like on closing? What is due diligence mm -hmm. like for a software company, which can be very tricky. Um, and then what is it going to be like maybe that first 30 days when you're making that transition? Hmm. Demon, what you got? <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to make the next question. Like, well, actually, well, actually, one question here is where do um, you said you can find them? You found your some of your businesses like on Empire Flippers, right? As an example, yes, yep. So Empire Flippers is a great one, um, yeah. and there's different brokers that specialize in different types of monetization models. Mm -hmm. um, Empire Flippers is great for like their their set of things, mm -hmm. and it's a good entry one because they have kind of lower priced. Um, there's a group, there's another marketplace called acquire.com okay. known as micro acquire. Okay. They also have a lot of kind of entry level and then as well as really large. Um, and okay. then I think a lot of people know about Flippa. Um, so Flippa yes. is another marketplace. Yeah. And so the thing to know marketplaces are different. They aren't really run through a broker. So prices can be all over the place. You can maybe sure. assume that there's a bit of a mess with it. Um, but if it goes through like an official broker, then you can get a prospectus that's way more well done. And the yeah. seller has probably been coached for 12 months on what to do. Right. Yeah. When I saw my company, um, we went through a company called Website Closers. Mm -hmm. um, I had them on the podcast just because they reached yep. out to me. They do a lot of e Amazon e-commerce stuff. And yep. I just felt a connection with the guy. I started talking about, I, I sold a membership community. It was a membership oh, nice. community yeah. teaching people how to make money on Amazon. And so it was like an online course with a community attached to it. After we listed it, I reached out to one of my students who I thought would be perfect, and he ended up being the one to buy it anyway. Awesome. Uh, but this, but the brokers had to help out a ton with all the little things, like because Jimmy got an SBA loan, and it was yeah, just a okay. lot of back and forth. And I mean, That's he had to it, he they put him through the ringer on you know the, that side of things, and so our brokers were helping him with all of the he had to do to all the documentation. It sounded like. It was tough for him. <laughs> it's a lot. I know people complain about, you know, you look and you say, oh, the broker's going to charge me a fee as a seller. But if they can close the deal, like walking someone through an SBA loan, um, yeah. they're very tough to do for online business because if somebody walks up with cash, you're just going to take that person. So you yep. have to wait you, as, as, <laughs> as the buyer saw, like it's pretty intrusive. Yeah. So to have a broker walk you through that, they also help just position kind of how the business should look. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, that like, all right, if you're the original founder and the coder and you're going to disappear, like you have to have something in place here. So a buyer, you know, you want to make it available as many buyers as possible. What if yeah. it's a buyer like, I don't know, my mom, um, she's not going to be in there like coding, you know, she's really right. wants to just be golfing somewhere. So yeah. how would you set it up for that person to buy it? So that's, mm -hmm. the brokers really do help. Um, and they help for us sure. on the buy side for sure. Cause there are, there's just so much that has to happen when it closes. Yeah. Um, since Steven and I, neither of us are developers or coders have any of that knowledge, what would it be look like for somebody like us to buy a, a SaaS type business where, um, I mean, obviously the person who we're buying it from would have to, if, if they're the coder, that's going to be a problem, right? I mean, I'm going to have to find another coder to come in and yep. do the deal with me. What, what, walk me through that process. If somebody's like, I already do, let's say I already have an online course, for example, maybe, um, and I have an idea for some software and I just go look and it's like, oh, it actually already exists and it's for sale. Yeah. Um, and this buying this would go perfectly with my membership that I already have or something, but I don't have any coding experience. Is that, does that, right. does that sound like don't even go down that road or, um, I think you can, I think you can go down that road. So it was like that for me in the beginning. Cause I knew I wasn't, I wasn't going to be actually sitting there doing the code with the first project. Yeah. So I almost had to hire a developer alongside the process of acquiring the business. Cause what you, you know, the ideal situation is actually to have the developer involved in the due diligence beforehand. Yes. Second best is at least on closing day, when you start that transition period, you want to record everything, but you want to be talking to the person that's going to use the code. Yeah. Cause a lot of times we'll get maybe uh, 30, 60 or 90 days where the seller will agree to work with us. But you kind of have to learn everything in that time. So if you're then starting to look for somebody and, you know, we go through a few people, um, that can be a little bit delayed. So yeah. as long as I think you're prepared, we're maybe, like you said, if you have a partner that says, you know, I'll do the hardcore coding stuff, you do everything else yeah. and you can both come along together. That's, that's a pretty ideal situation. And I bet a lot of us know, okay. you know, a, a person that could help us with that. I hope. Sure. <laughs> If I bought a SaaS company right now, um, had no coding experience, obviously you do want somebody that you could turn to, but how much, 
updating is going to be needed? Like how much new code yeah. is going to be needed versus just maintaining the old stuff that's there? In my experience, um, and kind of what I've heard from others, if you think about when someone's going to sell their business, they kind of stop updating things, right? <laughs> Every business I've bought, and it's also very hard during due diligence to like look at the software, right? Because they're not yeah. going to just give it to you, right? And so yeah. um, I have actually flown to the seller once and I brought my um, team with me and we walked through like in a conference room. That was a really good way to do it. Yeah. But even with that, every business we've bought, you know, things are almost, there's a lot of legacy. There's, um, you know, you'll have, we'll, you kind of go through it and you'll see, you know, oh man, we're almost out of PCI compliance in the next three months. You know, I always budget, you know, that first six months, you're going to, going to be kind of catching up to where it should have been had the business still been running. Uh, um, because okay. when sellers get in seller mode, you know, then they're just working on selling it. They're not sure. really updating. Because there's a lot of work involved with that. It is. It's a ton yeah. of work. And that's, it gets me a little gun shy when you sell. And probably like you just went through, like, it's a lot of work and it, it distracts you from actually solving the business use case that your company is doing. Yes. You're just screwing around with trying to make it look okay. Exactly. Help everybody understand like all the weird stuff. So yeah, yeah. I, I would assume, assume that the developer probably has stopped working a year ago. So things are starting to get old. Um, <laughs> you're going to have to kind of, and so that first six months, I say, you know, we're just working on defining where the scalability problems are, where, mm -hmm. what do we need to fix? And things that you do that customers are never even going to notice. Yeah. Um, and so I would assume that it's, that's different than content or e-com. Those kind of businesses is where you see someone say, hey, in six months, I doubled revenue. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not quite as easy. I mean, you could do the marketing part, but mm -hmm. um, we may find in software, like, is it scalable to double revenue? Because uh, you don't want to do that too early and have it all collapse. Yeah. Wow. So when you're buying these companies, you're actually then growing them. Any, any tips on like coming into a new company like that and growing it? Yeah. Yeah. So for, again, for that niche that I like, which is business to engineer, we get really involved in the community that's using that tool. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot of word to mouth. Um, mm -hmm. um, it's product led kind of thing. It's not so much outbound marketing. Okay. Um, so for me, that has worked really well. And the other one that I've said a few times um, in the past is the commercial uh, is the customer service channel. Mm -hmm. that's where you're going to find out all the real problems with the business. You should obviously look through that um, set of emails during due diligence, but as you're working with it, you know, that's where you find all the feature requests. This yeah. is where you can kind of build the relationships, understand what the, what, what the customers are actually using your tools for. Yeah. Um, just by the way that the businesses that I have, we can't really tell what our customers are doing because we're just infrastructure pieces to the business. Mm -hmm. So to hear the use case and be like, wow, that's a really cool. Can we do a white paper with that? That all comes through the customer service channel. So you don't want your customer service channel to be something where you're telling someone, hey, close this ticket in five minutes and you get an A+. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the conversation going for a long time, as long as you know, we solve the original problem. And, but right. if it's still going, like, keep it up. Yeah. Um, those yeah, information gathering. Me, yeah, those metrics don't matter to me. And, and we all see that from large companies, right? They just want to close the ticket. They like read what you write in. I try and be very different than that. I want people to know that like, hey, Michael's behind the, he's actually back there answering these questions. The engineers yeah. are there. You can talk to the people that built it. Um, we try and be really responsive and be real humans. Mm. <laughs> and so that is a huge competitive advantage that small companies can do over some of these like VC backed Absolutely. companies. That's so good. And then we talked a little bit about where to find the businesses, some about financing, anything else about the eight step framework that we didn't talk about that you feel like we've messed up? Think, yeah. The, um, the only part is way in the beginning is the awareness. And that's where I'm kind of doing the uh, shows like this, just to bring awareness to everybody out there that there is this acquisition uh, career path that you can do. Yeah. It's pretty mature, obviously, for brick and mortar companies. Um, but again, it's not seen as much. People don't teach entrepreneurship through acquisition at many schools. So it's something that I think it was great that I found later in my career. But a little bit like Stephen said, uh, maybe if I had found it five or 10 years earlier, I would have I would have done a few things differently, saved money, maybe worked in a different part of my business, uh, worked in a different part of a company to learn more about marketing or something like that. Okay. okay. Um, also I, on here, he says, why investing in online companies outperforms other asset classes? Is yeah. that something you want to chat about? Like as far sure. as um, the returns that might be expected? I know it's probably vastly and why it could be widely different yeah. based on the company you buy. And, you know, are you any good at growing them and all that? But like, can just, what do you typically tell people when they ask, like, what kind of return and what do I be looking at? Absolutely. Yeah. So we kind of know that the three ways you make wealth is, you know, equities and bonds, real estate, and then owning business. Mm. So what's interesting about online business is, I mean, the profit margins are 
we're not even playing like the same game. <laughs> um, and we also get a lot of the same um, tax advantages that you do for uh, buying real estate um, because it is an asset. Mm -hmm. So you can also depreciate the asset and it depends on how it's all worded in the, so that's again, something to know about when you're wording the contract, what mm -hmm. is considered an asset. So you can depreciate all of that. Interesting. However, um, especially as you know, for software and SaaS, I mean, you're talking profit margins, 50% is pretty good. 60, 70. I mean, it really depends if you have something scalable, um, right now, the companies I have, they're scalable enough that each new customer doesn't require me to add a salesperson. So we continue to grow and my, let's say ticketing queue is the same as it was in 2015. Wow. And yet we're, we're 10 times bigger. So if you can find, if you're lucky enough to find a company like that, that's where the profit margins just get really crazy. Mm. It's something you really can't do in other businesses. Now, of course the risk is higher. Like we said, there's no asset in case things go away. I have a ton of colleagues that had a business disappear overnight in the pandemic. Let's say you did wedding dress sales online, you know, that just stopped. Um, yeah. So there's that risk. Sure. Which is why you diversify this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, when you said uh, depreciation, what um, what are the things you're able to do to depreciate? And what's that rate? Like I know with real estate, it's like 27 and a half years or something. What's it look like when you're buying a company? Yep. Yeah. I get nervous talking about tax stuff. <laughs> I'm just curious. Too, this is, we're not going to hold you to it. This yeah. is just something that uh, I um, it was, I'm just curious about. Yeah. It was a huge surprise to me that that, so when you do that, the purchase agreement, you're going to put in there what percentage of this is um, assets and what part of it is just goodwill. Yep. Each you know, buyer and seller cares about which one is which, but the more you can get to assets, yeah, then you can depreciate that. And I'm, man, I, I think I know the number of years, but I don't want to say it in case I'm wrong. Sure. And I can Google it. Way. <laughs> yeah. I would assume uh, there's probably more like bonus depreciation stuff that you can appreciate quicker than dragging it out. Because of it's the, possible and yeah um is it the software it, like if i google it right now is yeah. it soft um how much can you depreciate like a software asset or something yeah that would be what i would google yep we don't have as far as i'm aware and i would love someone to correct me this the bonus depreciation concept that is in real estate right now um it's just kind of straight line depreciation as far as i'm aware um, but I kind of, you know, a lot of times CPA tells me and I say, that sounds good. Sounds perfect. Aren't there but things like the Hummer rule <laughs> where there are, I'm sure things that you can classify to take that much faster. I guess that's what I was thinking. Awesome. Bon yeah. Maybe not bonuses as far as like buying real estate and then being able to depreciate it very fast, but just classifying yeah. something where you could depreciate the full thing in say five years or less, depending on what I you're classifying that. Yeah, I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, and a lot of people are buying these and selling them, let's say, in five years too. So, but it does help during those five years to have that. Um, I, I always find that just blows my mind when I look at taxes and, you know, the, the depreciation has really helped. Um, and it's the same if the business goes south. Um, that's uh, right off for the future. And so, in a weird way, if it goes south and you're like, man, I just lost all this money, but I'm not paying taxes for about three years. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's kind of like you're like, well, I failed, but um, I don't have to deal with that for a while. <laughs> That's right. I don't know if this is what I if I did the right thing. But I did um, software depreciation life, and it says 36 months, but I don't know if that's the same as like wow. if I went out and bought a piece of software versus yeah, haven't one developed or not. But yeah, I uh, again not super confident okay. in. Uh, in my understanding of it, I know it's an ad it's advantageous according to my CPA. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. My, you don't need to know all these answers. Sure, I mean, that's yeah. what your CPA is for. I'm just curious. That's what they're there for. But yeah, that's incredibly helpful. Um, so yeah, going back all the way to profit margins, they are quite, they can be quite good for content. Um, yeah. You know, when you're doing e-commerce with Amazon, it's going to be your normal kind of shipping, much lower profit margins. But again, sure. um, compared to when you hear like grocery stores, like one to 2%. It's like, man, yeah. I can't believe I would work that hard for 1%. I remember when we were doing the sale in May um, that we did have to, like Jimmy and I had to talk about oh, how much of this, because it was a membership community, there wasn't mm -hmm. software with it. Um, yeah. And so he had we had to talk about, well, what percentage goes to Goodwill? What percentage is the membership? And it really didn't matter for our sale. Yeah. But I can imagine if he was buying the group and it had its software with it, they would probably been to his advantage for like 90% of it be the software if you can yep. depreciate it, right? I mean, yeah. if you can make sure that like of this sale, 90% of it is buying this piece of software, then that means a better deduction for him. Sure. Yeah. And so you get to keep all that cash, you know, with the non-cash deduction. Mm -hmm. there. Um, 
And same thing, you just kind of keep plowing it into the next business. So my typical pace, probably one every couple of years. I'm okay. setting out for six months. First six months, you're just kind of observing, making yeah. sure nothing blows up, you know, and then you start improving it, making it scalable. And then you're trying to shoot for, you know, after a couple of years, I would sell it to that 10 to 100 group that would like to run it. Um, yeah. So for me, yeah, every couple of years, you're kind of taking the, the money aside. Um, acquire the next thing, kind of continue to build the portfolio. Wow! So you do kind of get that diversification. What's your goal? Are you wanting to have a whole lot more companies? Or are you going to sell off some of the ones that you have? Um, like what's what's a, the good number for you? If you feel like you can handle, handle right? Yeah. So I'm looking to acquire another one, um, which is kind of a, a side story we could go with, um, and that would be four. And I know there's people that have 26 of them, right? And so for me, with the lifestyle that I like. Um, I think that's a pretty good goal. So maybe I would look at selling one before I brought another one in, sure. but it's, it's something I'm still trying to figure out with my wife is you know, where do we want to go? Where do we want to go with this? Like you could, you could say like, all right, we're going to build a portfolio of 10 companies like this, but it's going to, we're going to have to triple our employees, you know, and then life starts to get a lot more complicated. Um, sure. Or are we, are we okay <laughs> just with four and I'm kind of running 50% of them all and, right. um, and I'm happy because I get to do it. So yeah, it, that's what's really nice about this kind of career choice is I've heard people on your show that you know they've got the portfolio and they're they're running a holding company and everything, and then you could do like I do, where it's just I just buy stuff that I think is kind of fun to run for a couple of years. Mm. I like the customers; we get to chat all day about engineering problems, um, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's so cool. At this point, do you have people that come? And I, are you still like looking at the Empire Flippers and all those sites yep. for new acquisitions? Or at this point, you pro- I would imagine you're also having people that know that you buy these types of businesses, and you maybe get opportunities come to you before they're yep. even listed. Is that correct yeah it's true um it is helpful to to speak with everybody so everyone can kind of understand like this is what michael free looks for if i have that type of business probably a good strategic acquisition i still look at all the brokers um i have a team that does kind of cold outreach to companies that we think might be interesting um that's cool very low success but sometimes it can be you just the person at the right time or they they're like you know i'm thinking about a career switch and I'm just kind of running this for five hours a day and it's just kind of annoys me because you do surprisingly, you know, over time, you kind of get tired answering the same questions and no matter how many docs you put up, people don't look for them. Um, And I can see where where someone's like, I just want to try something different, you know, or or switch careers. And that's almost every acquisition I've had is they've all been positive things. Um, Someone got a, there, someone got like a startup um, funded. So they had to divest. Another person got a job at the company he really wanted. So he had to sell. You know, it was always positive things. I, I prefer not to, you know, if if somebody hasn't paid their taxes and they have to sell the business or it's a divorce, you know, you don't, because that's, it's going to bring the stress into the, into the uh, kind of the, the sales process. The business isn't really prepared to sell because it's kind of all of a sudden. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's if I get to write all the rules every day. Yeah. <laughs> Something we do in real estate is a lot is follow the money. So if we are buying a place and they now are having the money, we're trying to just track to like, what's the next thing that they're doing? Um, I have not bought multiple places from the same person, but a lot of the people that I've worked with, that's a consistent stream of either money lending or new opportunities. Is that something that you look at is once you buy a business from somebody that say was like me in the past, that they're just builders, essentially, are you just reaching out to those people and seeing like what they're up to and seeing if they possibly want to grow a business and then sell it off again? None of my sellers went right back to start something new. They all had this new path they were going. However, I have heard, especially things like content sites where you have a system and then you know you build that site, you get it to a certain spot and then you already have your buyer. And that buyer says, perfect, you, it's, you built it just the same as you did before. I'll buy it from you. you know, and wow. that's a great relationship. Like you said, if we had done this four years ago and you said, all right, every year I'm going to try one. Michael, if I can get it to this much money, would you, you know, want to buy it? And I'd say yes. And then wow. you know, once I've seen kind of your process, that would be such a great setup. Um, so I'm going to probably write that down as like, I need a goal where I've got someone that's building these for me and then I acquire it from them. <laughs> is there, is that yeah, a situation? And- like you can actually reach out like to people who love the, like, so Steven's a guy that we're both entrepreneurs um, where he would, before he would build them and then burn them, and burn, like, them. burn them down. <laughs> but like, are there situations where you could actually have, you know, literally having that conversation with somebody like Steven saying, if Steven, if you could build this type of company, I'd buy it from you. I mean, assuming that yeah, you get it to the level that I need it to be and all that, but like where he's building it based on what you would want. Um, yeah. And, and so you're basically that, doing the build. Those to relationships sell exist. Are those yeah. types of situations? I'm sure there are. I unfortunately okay. don't have one, but I think I need to find a way to set it up. But yeah, if, 
Um, I would I think a lot of these are not built to sell, right? They're just, they're just lucky that it worked. And they're like, oh my gosh, yeah. actually I actually have customers and real money. So that's where we have to kind of fix things where, cause things weren't built to scale. But um, okay. if you could have someone that was thinking about selling it and building it in a way that makes it sellable, that's a whole different way to run a business. Mm. There, I'm sure in the business space, there are very similar people, but we were always looking for home flippers because we knew that they could build a house and fix it up if they did it the way that we like. Some people just come and quick paint and barely yeah. the doors are holding on the hinges. But we found builders that we liked or rehabbers that we liked and we continue to work with them. So I would say we've bought multiple place properties from them, but not a homeowner that just built it up. But I would assume in that same space of SaaS, there are people that are looking to do turnarounds. I know that's normally probably a more difficult thing to do, but that might be a place that I start. And as you're reaching out, it might be worth just seeing like, hey, are you doing this type of business? Are you turning this around for the sole purpose of, um, and just having conversations with a lot more of them, more than just like, are you selling your business? Because I'm sure you're going to get a whole bunch of no's, but just seeing like, where are you at in this? Have you ever thought about an exit? What is your uh, secession plan? Because those are the kind of conversations that we started with those rehabbers is just like, are you building this up to hold it? Most of them are just flipping, but they're just getting in their cycle and just going, Hey, if you ever get one to market like this, like Ryan was saying on the other end of it, then I'll definitely be a buyer. Like we don't even have to do too much back and forth. We have a relationship. I can just sign the contract, send the money and then hand it over type of situation. I love the idea because you're, you're ending that conversation where they just say no right away. You're giving them the idea to, step back and think like, oh, maybe in a couple of years I would sell this. How would I do this? Yeah. yeah. That's a really, I like that approach a lot. And I think also on this journey that me and Ryan are on, we are identifying a lot of people like of what they enjoy doing. Some people are right. start scale and then that's just what they enjoy. Some yep. people I think are business owners where they will look to buy one single business. Some people are entrepreneurs where they just like, like their hands in a bunch of stuff. Yep. Then some people are visionaries where they're actually like, doing a lot of this stuff to build it up or roll it up into a very specific way of structuring their business. Um, but I do think this idea of having a deal flow is now that I look back at a lot of conversation that me and Ryan have, I almost feel like that is a position that we could have because we see a lot of these people starting things or just kind of in the middle of them or trying to add something else. It, it seems like there could be a marketplace for that where it's like, Hey, these people are just doing this thing. Let's start having these conversations with potential buyers and see and just have open conversations. Cause I don't think me even four or five years ago thought about selling. It was just like, yeah, I'm good at identifying an opportunity, testing it to the nth degree, scaling it up, but then I'm not a good manager. And I think that's why I was yeah. just like, well, I'm going to burn it down. Cause I don't have any exit, anything and I'm done with this. So I'm on to yeah. the next building project essentially. But I, I would assume you must be able to identify those people in this. I'm yeah. sure they're younger, ambitious. I think engineers are perfect for that. If you could just classify yeah. them and just go like, hey, these people are going to be building like crazy. This might be worth just having conversations or trying to put something together to find Absolutely. these people. Yeah. And uh, exactly like you just described to have, because I'm the operator, right? I'm not so good at the entrepreneurship start. I'm not trying to build the big solution in the sky. I'm the perfect kind of that second person. Mm. Um, so, and I'm thinking of some like, let's say like indie hackers, right? So there's tons of people working on their little projects in there and some of them do get traction. And that's a great place to kind of have that conversation of, Hey, you know, if you guys are ever looking to sell, like here's kind of what us as buyers are looking for and that you yeah. might need to start putting into your business. So it makes it a lot easier to sell and you get more money for it. Mm. Since you identify yourself as an operator, have you ever thought about doing any kind of angel investing type thing where you see somebody doing something very interesting you go oh, i can put a little money behind this and see and if it ever scales to this i'll be a buyer for myself essentially and then you could almost get a discount in your buying because you already own a percentage yeah. of it i've looked at it a little bit um i'm still in the phase where i enjoy putting my money to work in my own business okay um and i can see that happening is when i let's say we have the four and then I'm just, I got too much going on and I kind of have to say, all right, I'm going to do some investing on the side here because I don't have a way to deploy that capital at the moment. Um, but at the moment, because the returns, when you're buying it, your own business and as much cash as you can, those returns are always going to be so fantastic. Um, yeah. It's harder to give it to somewhere else at this point. Um, but I do see that as kind of a um, maturity process. Yeah, I guess maybe if you bought a business from somebody and they're like, hey, I'm going to start another one, it would just mm. lend itself to an opportunity like that. But I guess going out and looking for that is probably not worth the time, energy, and effort. Impossible. Who knows? It's going to go bust. It's yeah, an unproven. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. All right. Interesting. 
That's awesome. And on the financing side, have you done yeah. any owner financing deals? Like seller financing kind of thing? Yes. Yep. So most online acquisitions, you can kind of assume, maybe even expect to be able to get 10, 20% seller financing. Mm. So if you look at something that's a million bucks, you can say, all right, maybe I can priority get 200 right there. If I can bring 400, you know, and then you start kind of layering the deal together. Um, mm. Seller financing is pretty common, um, especially because there is the inherent risk of transferring ownership. Um, so people try and do a little bit of like holdbacks and earnouts, and it's all the same, uh, different words for the same kind of thing. Um, that's more common maybe in the Amazon and the e-commerce area where you have inventory and stuff. Um, I have never held money back. We've just done the seller financing. So for example, the last business, um, I think it was about 20%. And we started it six months after the business closed, and then it's a two-year loan. So yeah, th that that helps right away on the top. Um, and most sellers should be comfortable doing that. You know, if they're trying to run away with all the money right away, I get it. <laughs> that's but maybe it, a red flag. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's something to be like, well, that's interesting. Um, and I think, again, I could be wrong, but I think with SBA loans, that may not even be allowed because they have they have to be due almost all cash. Um, and so I'm, I'm not quite sure on that. But I think that's that's one of the advantages. If you're trying to buy something with an SBA loan, you can say, hey, listen, I bet the other buyers are trying to get 20% uh, off on seller financing with an SBA loan. We come with all cash. Longer. Interesting. Yeah. You'll wait a month longer, but you're going to get it all. And, um, you know, it's the government's back there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's, I know that you're thinking more, you're working more with like developers and you know, SaaS companies, but like, do you feel like there's an opportunity to buy businesses from baby boomers that are wanting to get yeah. out? And maybe they have sons and daughters that don't want to run the business that their mom and dad started. Um, and any insight we, you, I'm sure you're talking to people yeah. um, and hear things. And you know, Stephen and I have been thinking about that. Like, there's got to be people that are like, uh, they don't want to run this anymore. Um, they yeah. want to. They want to be. There's a huge them. market for that. Um, you know, we kind of all know there's this massive wealth transfer occurring with businesses kind of having it passed down or shut down. Yeah. I'm stunned how often brokers bring up businesses that are run by baby boomers, mm. and you can see as soon as you see the site you know exactly <laughs> uh, that it's being run by baby boomers because it, it's like you're going back in time, you know, it's still like sure. a static HTML. Site. Does that look like to you? But is that like what Steven sees when he sees a rundown house, he sees opportunity. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. such a, it's not even a turnaround because the thing works, but you can actually make it better. Um, but you know, I always get scared. Of, I think, well, maybe all the customers, this is exactly what they're expecting. If I come in with my flashy new website, that might scare them off. But right. um, there are quite a few, um, again, I'm surprised that, baby boomers that have built um, a web presence to their business, they don't know anything about it, right? Somebody else is running it, but they are ready to sell. So it is out there. Um, oh. Probably not as much as brick and mortar, but those do exist. Yeah. That's fascinating. Man, there's so much opportunity. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It? Like, do you, you go outside and you see like $100 bills flying around everywhere and it's like, which ones do I grab? Because yeah, it's not, yeah. you can't do all of them. <laughs> it's, it is, it's very fun to be able to buy your own project, right? And yeah. that's kind of, Cause that's really the first thing I'm looking at is like, would this be fun to do? Mm. Um, and, and you can go through like the whole list when you go through the brokers, there's some where you're like, eh, I mean, that's cool. But you know, other ones where you're like, oh, that would actually be kind of, you know, I'd love to talk to the people that are working on this. Um, I'd love to see what the customers are doing. So that yeah. usually is one of the first things. And then I start looking at the price and, you know, is this going to work? But um, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's just kind of a fun project. Is it way <laughs> easier for you to buy a business that is adjacent, similar, or in that vertical up or down with your current business than it is to like go out and do something that's maybe still a techie, but has nothing to do with the industry that you're in now? It is easier because I'm using the, I use the same team. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of times if we do something on business one, and it looks like it's going to work, let's say from a marketing standpoint, then like, okay, cool. That'll work on business two and three. Mm. If we get one that's a little bit outside of that, I'm trying to think of a good, I don't know, or me, just me buying a content site, right? Nobody in my team is an expert at that. So I'd have to build a second team. And now we're starting to complicate things. Yeah. Um, so if I can find things that are just my own team, same software stack or something that they want to learn, then we're happy. That's good. That's good. Wow. Well, what other, I mean, Steve, anything else I was going to ask him just to give us some business advice, general advice to people that are wanting to do this. Um, want to be respectful of the time here. You got any other questions? No, I have two for the after. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> sure. Michael, like, thinking about people who are like wanting to do what you're doing, thinking about jumping into buying a business. What's the, some, you've done a lot of it. You've got a lot of experience. What's your advice for newbies? Yeah. Um, obviously educate yourself on the market. Um, 
uh, that's what I'm trying to write as much from a buyer point of view. Um, a lot of the information out there is coming out from brokers and marketplaces. Mm-hmm. So just like real estate agents, remember that that's a one-sided view of the market. I'm trying to bring like some of the buyer point of view and there's others like me out there. Um, so yeah, educate yourself. It is going to take some cash. So if you're listening to this and you're in your mid twenties or early thirties and you're thinking, all right, I can do five more years of this corporate thing, but let me just start saving some cash for this. Um, and then, yeah, kind of position yourself like to get across the whole, whole business if you could just to learn more about when you're running it yourself. Um, and then reach out, you know, and, uh, this is a very helpful community of online acquisitions. Um, a lot of people are trying to help, um, because it's, it's still small. It's, it's much smaller than the, let's say the startup community. Um, so reach out people like me or anybody that, you know, maybe gets into the area that you're looking for, um, and try and get some help, reach out to brokers. If you're ready to start really looking, tell them what you're looking for. They'll usually do like a phone call interview and kind of get you in their database. Um, just so that they kind of send you the right stuff. Um, there's no point in sending me FBA stuff when I'm really, I'm looking for, you know, SaaS and software. Um, I just kind of go from there. There's a, trying to think what else. It's a good start. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just get started. I mean, just start poking yeah. around. Like, it'd be like if I was looking for a home. My family and I want to move, for example. You start looking in the area that you want to be and just talk to real yeah. estate agents and, you know, see what you like. So, yeah. You don't have to buy the first thing that comes along. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So, you want people to go to michaelfrew.com forward slash dreams of income? Yep, that's perfect. perfect. Um, so, on that page, I'll have um, a couple things that I've done. So, Typically, when I tell someone what my career is, they have about four questions. They always ask the same four questions. So one day, I I figured I would just stand uh, pretty much with this background and answer those four questions as if we were hanging out at a bar or a cocktail party. Um, So it's, um, you know, why do people sell good businesses? Because it seems crazy that someone would do that. (laughs) How do you finance these things? Um, What makes you as a unique, like a unique buyer? How do you make yourself stand out as a buyer? And then what's, what is suitable for me based on my background? So I try and tackle those four questions there. Um, not selling anything at the end or anything like that. It's just trying to help with that. I've got a newsletter I try and put out whenever I have a few free minutes right. of just kind of like what's going on in my life. Like here's something interesting that happened um, with buying a business and this went astray or this went really well. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully just to get that education piece going and get people comfortable with this idea. Okay. Awesome. That's Michael through F-R-E-W.com forward slash streams of income. Michael, thanks for being on. Appreciate it. You're always yes, welcome back. Thank Anytime you. Anytime you want to hang yeah. out and chat about this stuff, this is uh, right up in the alley of Stephen and I for sure. So we're excited. <laughs> yeah. to, always excited to have you back on. That's great. I'll talk about this stuff all day. So I'll do it again. <laughs> all right. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye, everyone. See you next week.